on the night that Jesus was arrested before he was crucified, he was taken before the Roman governor, Pilate. And Pilate asked him a question. Are you a king then? And Jesus answered, you say rightly that I am a king. For this cause I was born and for this cause I have come into the world, that I should bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. There's been a particular word and theme which has appeared in all of the carols that we've sung so far this morning and will appear again in our closing one. We've sung Saviour and King, we worship thee. Gold, a king is born today. Born is the King of Israel. We'll conclude by singing glory to the newborn King. In the famous Hallelujah Chorus of Handel's Messiah, the choir sings these words, Hallelujah, for the Lord God omnipotent reigneth. The kingdom of this world is become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever, King of kings and Lord of lords. Hallelujah. Well, I don't know if George Frederick Handel was a believer, but he got that just about spot on. Jesus Christ is King of kings and Lord of lords. You say rightly that I am a king, he answered Pilate. I want to consider three things with you this morning. The first is this, that Jesus is king over all things. The Bible makes it plain that the Lord Jesus Christ, being God and being in the beginning with God and the one who was God, as John explains in the opening of his gospel, that everything that we see all around us is his by right. It begins with the very opening verse of the Bible, the very first verse of Genesis chapter 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And John, in those opening verses of his gospel, makes it abundantly clear that the Lord Jesus Christ was there and was the instrument of creation. We read in Deuteronomy, Therefore know this day, consider it in your heart, that the Lord himself is God in heaven above and on the earth beneath. There is no other. Indeed, heaven and the highest heavens belong to the Lord your God. Also, the earth with all that is in it. Later on in the Old Testament, we read this, Blessed are you, Lord God of Israel, our Father, forever and ever. Yours, O Lord, is the greatness, the power and the glory, the victory and the majesty. For all that is in heaven and in earth is yours. Yours is the kingdom, O Lord. You are exalted as head 
over all. Both riches and honour come from you, and you reign over all. In your hand is power and might. In your hand it is to make great and to give strength to all. Those words from, Deut uh, from 1 Chronicles chapter 29. And in Psalm 45, gird your sword upon your thigh, O mighty one, with your glory and your majesty. Your throne, O God, is forever and ever. In Psalm 93, the Lord reigns clothed with majesty. Surely the world is established so that it cannot be moved. Your throne is established from of old. You are from everlasting. The Lord has established his throne in heaven and his kingdom rules over all. Well, these are very clear, emphatic statements about the person and being of God over all things because all things were made by him. And these themes we find continuing in the New Testament speaking specifically about the Lord Jesus Christ. So writing to the Romans, Paul will say, of him, through him, to him are all things, to whom be glory forever. To the Colossians, he is before all things, and in him all things consist. Writing to Timothy, he is the blessed and only potentate, the King of kings and Lord of lords, who alone has immortality, dwelling in unapproachable light, whom no man has seen or can see, to whom be honour and everlasting power. To the Hebrews, every house is built by someone, but he who built all things is God. And we began in Genesis at the beginning of the Bible and we conclude at the end of the Bible in Revelation in chapter 4. You are worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honour and power for you created all things and by your will they exist and were created. From beginning to end, the Bible presents us with the fact that there is a God in heaven who is the maker of all things, therefore all things are his. He rules over all things. He decides all things. His is the power and the wisdom behind all things. He's the one who holds all things together, keeping them and sustaining them. When European settlers, they were mostly European, when they were first establishing themselves in North America, the government allowed them to basically travel out into the back end of beyond and simply claim their own piece of land. The government considered it to be theirs to give them. And if these people were willing to go out and establish themselves there and cultivate the land and form townships, then great. It was probably a fairly cheap and easy way to help establish a new nation. That's a, a little bit oversimplified, but that's basically what happened. 
This land belongs to no one. I claim it. It's mine. And now I can do what I want with it. That, more or less, was the mentality that they had. But of course, what's left out of that narrative is that most of that land was actually the homeland of numerous Native American tribes. They had no formal legal system like we understand it today. They didn't have written deeds of ownership and trustees appointed and all that sort of thing. But those tribes amongst themselves knew and understood whose patch was which. And of course, Hollywood for several decades had a field day portraying the upright and honourable settlers in all of their battles against these heathen barbarians, as those Native Americans were often portrayed. And of course, during the 20th century, little by little, it was realised and understood that it was the driving out of these native tribes from their centuries-old homelands. This had been the real act of savagery. And something repeated many times over, over in other countries through the centuries. And in North America and in other places, uh, legal battles over these long-standing issues continue to this day. Ignoring those who have a rightful claim. Claiming it to be yours, to do with as you wish. And that's what men and women in their sin do with God every day. His is the rightful claim over their lives, over how they ought to live over what is right and what is wrong, and what is good and what is evil. His is the rightful claim over what they ought to think in their mind, what they ought to do with their bodies, and what they ought to keep themselves from. Why does God have that rightful claim over them, over you, over me? Well, it's because all is his creation. We are his creatures. Our very next breath is in God's bidding whether we get to take it or not. Whether any of us will awake from sleep tomorrow morning. Whether anyone's going to be rich or poor in this life. God is over all things because all things are his by right. For everything around us, including you and I, we are all the workmanship of his hands. But in our sin, we say, no, I claim this as mine. And God, as it were, is driven out so that I can do with all of this, whatever I wish to do. I'll do with this world as I wish. I'll do with my life as I wish. I'll do with my body as I wish. I'll think and lust in my thought life as I wish. I'll treat my fellow man as I wish. 
the one who has the true claim of kingship is driven out. I have no need of him. I reject his claim. I object to his, his interference. I defy his authority. I throw out his rule book. I take his place on the throne of my life. Thank you very much. And for all of these reasons, that is why the world is the way it is. This is what causes the, the tensions and the, the stresses and even conflict between you as a Christian and those who are unbelievers. They are living still as those who have driven God out, who decide for themselves. And so when those who are living under God's kingship speak to them in terms of life lived under God's kingship, there's a great clash. There's a clash of priorities. There's a clash of beliefs. There's a clash of values. You as a Christian come across as a very strange sort to unbelievers because kingdom life and life outside of God's kingdom is very different indeed. You live according to the truth of God. This is something completely lost on those who know nothing of him. Whenever you try to talk to people about God and the Bible and Christ and his gospel, you have to remember that, that you are someone in whom and over whom God has re-established his rightful place as king and lord. But in them he hasn't. Well, at least not yet. And nothing can or will change until he does. That they are still living this life in, in which God has been driven out. And they, they fail to see and understand. But Christ is still the king. The power and the authority are his and he's very much reigning and ruling on high and if you're a Christian in your life the Bible says that God is patient he's long-suffering he's slow to anger and he's abounding in mercy so our sinful rebellion against him and the unrighteousness and the wickedness that's inside each one of us is all being reckoned up against us. God, in his grace, delays in visiting us with the condemnation that we deserve. But it is most certainly coming because although to many in the world it may not seem like it, Christ is King. The day is approaching, we don't know when, but the day will come when everything will be 
reclaimed by him. He will establish himself again in a way that all will see and even declare with their lips that he is Lord. And accounts will be settled as his perfect justice comes to each one according to their deeds and the due punishment for sins will be applied. But this king is also a king of grace and kindness. And in his grace and kindness, he calls all men and women and boys and girls, while they still may, to repent of their sins, to return to the king, to be received into his kingdom, and to place yourself once more under his reign of love and righteousness and peace. Are you someone who's done that? Jesus is king over all things, but in a very special way, you may know him as a king personally. Because secondly, we discover in the Bible that Jesus is king over his church. So he's king over all things, but he has a very special kingship over his church. We read in Paul's letter to, to the Ephesians, he put all things under his feet, speaking of Christ, gave him to be head over all things to the church, that we may grow up in all things into him who is the head, Christ. To the Colossians, he is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he may have the preeminence because he is the preeminent one. In the Hebrews, we read this, it was fitting for him for whom are all things and by whom are all things in bringing many sons to glory in Christians being saved to make the captain of their salvation perfect through sufferings. And then in Ephesians chapter 2, these really well-known words from the Apostle Paul, God, who is rich in mercy, because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you've been saved and raised us up together, made us sit together in the heavenly places with Christ Jesus, that in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. In the New Testament, when speaking of Jesus in relation to his church, one thing that we discover actually is that he isn't very often referred to as king. You don't find Jesus referred to as the king of the church. He is, but the actual title doesn't get used in that literal way. Having said that, though, in the first message in this series, we considered that Jesus came to preach and he was forever preaching about the kingdom 
of God and of heaven. And kingdoms have kings. And in Luke chapter 1, as Gabriel is speaking to Mary and telling her of the baby she's about to carry and later deliver, he says this, he will be great. He'll be called the Son of the Highest, and the Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David. Well, it's a king who sits on a throne. He will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. Well, that passage leaves us in no doubt that this Jesus is born as a king. And he has a kingdom. And speaking of Christ's kingdom is just another way of speaking about his church. Christ is the eternal king over an eternal kingdom. King David in the Old Testament was spoken to by God and God made a covenant with him and promises were made to David by God. And it was simply this, that David would have a descendant who would become the one true eternal king of the one true eternal Israel. All who will believe on him. In other words, his church. Which, by the way, includes Old Testament believers too. The Lord Jesus Christ is that promised king. All of those kings of Israel and Judah that we find in the Old Testament, they were, they were just all uh, pictures and types and forerunners of that one true king who will come. And ordinarily, as you know, in, in human history, Kings come and come and go. Kings die and are replaced. Um, depending on the, the laws of the land, they may only ever have kings or they may have kings and queens. But the monarch dies to be replaced traditionally and typically by the eldest child. And unless those monarchies become abolished, that process just gets repeated over and over again. But there's been this promise made in the Old Testament that there will come a time when this kingly line would come to a halt, not because the monarchy has been abolished, but because there's going to be one king who will then remain king forever. And that whole process of a new monarch ascending the throne after the old one has died, that will all come to a close because this will be a king who will live and reign forever. And this is the Lord Jesus Christ. So we read from Psalm 45 earlier, your throne, O God, is forever and ever. And righteousness is the scepter of your kingdom. And there's none righteous like Christ. And in Hebrews chapter 1, we're actually told that those, those words from Psalm 45 are speaking specifically about the Lord Jesus Christ. They are prophetic words about him. 
It's a glorious kingdom because he is a glorious king. Now, the glories of Christ's kingdom are not yet what they might be because for those of us who are alive in this world, who are citizens of that kingdom, we still struggle with sin. But one day at Christ's return, it will all be completed and perfected and we will finally become the citizens of that kingdom that we ought to be. Christ will gather his church to himself as a bride takes his pure, chaste wife to be with himself forever. A kingdom of perfect love and grace, of mercy, justice, forgiveness, in that all those who are there are forgiven ones, but actually the good news is that once we're in heaven, we'll never need forgiveness in that sense ever again because all sin will be done away with. There'll never be new things that we need to forgive one another for in heaven because no sins will ever take place there. And so it, it will be a place of kindness and joy and peace and rest and worship and praise to the king. Well, you might look at any church right now, you might look at Belvedere Road Church and you might think to yourself, well, they've got some way to go yet. And you'd be right. But look to the king and see what's coming. And you'll never go wrong if you fix your eyes on him. See him lying in the manger, the king of heaven born into poverty, who's come into the world to die for his people in order to save them from their sins. Such is his love. See him in his earthly ministry, the friend of sinners full of grace and truth. See him on the cross, the king eternal, bearing shame and scoffing rude in my place, condemned he stood, sealing my pardon with his blood. Hallelujah, what a saviour. He's our prophet. He has come bearing witness to the truth, he told Pilate. That was our introductory verse. All of this is God's truth that you need to take note of. He's our priest who by the sacrifice of himself reconciles sinners to God. He's our king, ruling and reigning, yes, in all of his creation, and yes, over his church. But if you're a Christian, you can also say for me, he's reigning as king in my heart, in my thought life, in everything that I do or say. And this king of truth, who will never deceive you, 
calls you to think upon these things and consider them most carefully. Is he your king? I want to close with these thoughts. Is he your king? I mentioned before that you can read about many kings in the Old Testament in, who were kings of Israel and of Judah. And you know many of them were diabolical kings. They were weak, they were sinful, uh, many were idolatrous, scheming, unwise, easily led, double-minded, hopeless. Everything you did not want a king to be, many of them were. Oh, for a king who will be a true and proper king. And in some ways, one of the reasons all of those kings were there is to point the way forward to the one who would indeed be the true and proper king of Israel compared to all of these. A king who will reign in truth, righteousness, faithfulness, integrity, kindness, justice, equity, love, grace, goodness. A king who is a joy to know and a king who is a delight to serve. A king who will never disappoint, never betray, never exploit, never abuse. A king who I can trust because his every word is truth and who fills my life with hope and with goodness. You turn to Christ and you found such a king. Heaven's arches rang when the angels sang, proclaiming thy royal degree. But of lowly birth came thou, Lord, on earth, and in great humility. Oh, come to my heart, Lord Jesus. There is room in my heart for thee. Thou camest, O Lord, with the living word that should set thy people free. But with mocking scorn and with crown of thorn they bore thee to Calvary. Oh, come to my heart, Lord Jesus. Thy cross is my only plea. When heaven's arches ring and her choirs shall sing at his coming in victory, let his voice call me home, saying, yet there is room, there is room at my side for thee, and my heart shall rejoice, Lord Jesus when thou comest and callest for me. The kingdom of this world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever, King of kings and Lord of lords. King over all things, King over his church, 
Is he your king?